Good morning. Welcome to Missouri Farm Bureau and welcome to the Missouri State Fair. It's great to see so many friends here uh, and we've got a, an important topic that we're going to cover this morning. But before we jump into it, I want to celebrate some Farm Bureau news. Uh, today, as of today, we have hit uh, 34 years of consecutive membership growth. That would not be possible without our, the leadership of our state board of directors. We have current board members, former board members. We have members of our team, both from the farm organization as well as our family of insurance companies. And obviously, and probably most importantly, County Farm Bureau leaders who are here who work day in and day out to tell the story of Farm Bureau and their communities. So thank you for all of you for helping us achieve uh, this wonderful accomplishment. We have great members of our delegation and Governor Parson with us this morning to talk about potential changes in the federal tax code. Uh, we also, do we have any statewide elected officials that have come in? If you are, wave your hand if you're here. I know we have, here we go, we have members of the Missouri General Assembly. We have leadership of the University of Missouri. Wave your, I know President Choice here somewhere. Thank you all very much for being here. I know we have members of, of the governor's cabinet here. Would you wave your arms, please? I know Director Dixon, yes, Director Button. Thank you all. Obviously, Director Chin, and congratulations to you and the commission for another great state fair. Thank you. So there are a lot of words floating out there today in terms of the issues facing farmers and ranchers. And a question that I get asked often is that of sustainability. And as I visit with fellow Farm Bureau members, each one of us know that sustainability is personal to each one of us. For me and my wife, Jennifer, uh, our definition of sustainability is one that is a work in progress, meaning that we will have achieved sustainability on our farm when we're able to pass that farm on to the next generation. And actually, Jennifer and the kids have finished up chores and they're en route to, to Sedalia now to enjoy a day at the fair. But if we're able to pass that farm on, it means that we've been productive, profitable, that we've stewarded our resources, and ultimately instilled a work ethic and a love uh, in our children that they want to be able to carry that farm on to the next generation. Well, there are issues out there that affect how we operate our farms every day. Uh, and there's an issue that's weighing heavily on the minds of all of us here, and that's potentially changing the federal tax code in a way that makes us very difficult for us to pass that farm on. You know, early on as we talk about the, the spending proposals in Washington, D.C., all of us know in the heartland that that money's got to come from somewhere. There have to be pay-fors. And that's why the current administration is proposing and has allies in Congress pushing for changes in the federal tax code that will make it more difficult for us to, to plan for the future. We're talking about possible elimination of stepped-up basis. We're talking about transfer taxes or imposition of capital gains at death. What I hear, what I hear is the message that we want to make it harder for you to be able to plan for the future. And that's weighing on me as I work with my folks as we talk about the remainder of our farm and what that looks like in the future. And more importantly, it weighs heavy on Jennifer and I at night when we think about how on earth we're going to make it possible for our kids to be able to farm. We'll have the chance to talk about more details of the proposals and the impacts that are there. But let me say this. As we talk about tax policy and the opportunity to bring home the next generation, we can't do it if we're not taking a big picture approach and thinking about resilient communities as well. Because I can't bring home Adeline, Colton, and Tate if we have a community that's dying. And so I know that we have friends right here that are working to tackle the tough issues to make sure that our rural communities are not just surviving, but thriving. So this morning, I'm very pleased to have Governor Parson with us. Uh, he'll touch a little on taxes, but he's also going to talk about a major investment uh, that I see as a game changer for Missouri and our rural communities and ultimately our farm families and our ability to bring home that next generation. So please help me welcome Governor Mike Parson. Josh, 
good job. What a crowd this morning. What a, what a great honor it is to be up here with the governor of the state of Missouri. Great to have the federal delegation in here today. How about the job they're trying to do up there in the state? It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Just, just hang in there a little bit on that. Uh, you know, Garrett, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. A young guy at the head of Farm Bureau and what Farm Bureau means to the state. What a remarkable accomplishment for you and about a ton of responsibility on your shoulders every day. But I appreciate what you're doing for Farm Bureau here in the state of Missouri. He mentioned uh, the death tax, and I, I know the federal delegation will talk about that, I'm sure, extent today. I sure hope they do. But as Garrett was talking about that, and you think of us that's been on a farm all our lives that come from that background, and you just take a second to think about your kids and your grandkids. What it would take if they wanted to walk out today and be a farmer. If you had to buy the land, if you had to buy the livestock, if you had to put the crops in, if you had to buy the equipment, what that obligation would be. Almost impossible for a young man or woman to start out farming on their own by themselves. Very difficult to do. So when we talk about passing down a heritage, for the ones that are farmers, the ones that can pass that down and can help. We never want to deter a young person from being a farmer. And we don't want to make it difficult for him to do that. It's the last thing in the world we want to do. And just last week, in Jamestown, Missouri, and I think some of them are here at the State Fair probably, I went to the Clay family's farm in there. And I want you to listen very carefully to this. You want to talk about how important this is and what we're talking about today? The Clay Farm in Jamestown, Missouri, has been in existence for 205 years. So remember we're selling our 205 centennial anniversary? It was before statehood they did that. It has been in the same last name. It has been passed down from grandfather to grandfather to great-grandfathers to sons are currently there today. The person that signed the document, to give you just a really, let this soak in, that transferred the land to the Clay family was John Quincy Adams, who signed that. That's how important this issue is we're talking about. What we gotta do is to protect people and the taxes in this. There is no reason that we should be taxed for what rightfully our forefathers handed down to us and worked our tail ends off to give it to us. So I hope everybody's standing up here, and I know they will. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that, that doesn't happen to the people of Missouri. I will guarantee you that on that. So, yeah. So, all right, one other thing I want to invite everybody to. Farm Bureau, you need to be part of this. I'm calling you out right now, Gary. Right. You got it. Our 200th celebration, September the 18th. We're going to have bigger hoop to do in Jeff City. Everybody know what a hoop to do is? <laughs> if you come to the farm, y'all know what that is. If not, don't worry about it. I'll explain to you. So on September the 18th, we are going to have a bicentennial parade in Jeff City. There is almost now 80 or 90 entries in it, and it will be the history of Missouri that will be telling about all the counties, all the cities, all the people who come here. People like Mark Twain, Walt Disney, John, General John Pershing, the highest ranking military officer in our country come from Missouri. The Hubble Telescope from Marshfield, Missouri that come here. Daniel Boone that lived here. Ulysses S. Grant that got married here in the state of Missouri. George Washington Carver. Yeah. You know, all of the people that has an effect in our state's history. President Truman will be on full display that day. It will be led by the Clydesdale horses will be there that day. So some of you on the farm side of it want to see those horses. They'll be there as part of it. And the Grand Marshal of the parade is a special guest that's going to be there. A World War II veteran. And I see Jim Nolan here, a World War II veteran, and the oldest senator in Missouri. Now, Jim's going to get upstaged a little bit, I want to tell you, because the lady that's the Grand Marshal, and you hear what I just said, World War II veteran that is a nurse, she will be the Grand Marshal of Parade, and there's very few of them around in this state. So she's going to lead it. Still can wear a uniform that she wore that day in World War II. She can still wear that today, ladies. So anyhow, for us, I still have my uniform just so you guys know. <laughs> I don't know who that skinny guy was. That had it right I, can't, I can't wear mine anymore. 
So, but the big announcement I want to make, I know, I know the federal uh, coalition's here today. Over the last 19 months, is, is need to say 18 months has been just such a difficult time to deal with in the state of Missouri. I want to tell you as governor, it's never been an easy road to go down, probably one of the most difficult times. But I want to tell you, the federal delegation, I was on a phone call with them, sometimes weekly, sometimes every other week throughout the whole process, asking for help, trying to figure out how we communicate Missouri. And I couldn't be more prouder of the men and women that are standing up here for you today representing our state here in Missouri. And I thank you all for thank that. All right, now for the new news. There is old news, as I said a little something at the breakfast this morning that I wasn't supposed to say, but I kind of said it. So, all right, Missouri, <laughs> listen to me well. For our kids and our grandkids to compete, our businesses in Missouri, we've got to move forward with infrastructure in the state of Missouri. And you've heard me say that ever since I was governor. And, and when it's, whether it's the highway system, whether it's airports, whether it's rivers, whether it's rail, we got to get it right in Missouri. If you can get infrastructure right and workforce development right, everything feeds off those two things. I'm telling you right there, they do. So another little piece of infrastructure for rural Missouri is called broadband. Broadband. We put an emphasis on it. We've all talked about, you know, we want to help Broadway, we want to help Broadband. Well, I'm telling you what. We are going to have the largest investment in our state's history with $400 million of good broadband across this state. People in rural Missouri deserve, and we should be obligated as elected officials to make sure that you can compete in the global market, the United States market, and the state market against anybody, anywhere. And the only way you can do that is have access to good, high-quality internet. And I hope within the next three years as governor, we're going to be a long way down the road of putting that internet in everybody's house. We put a light bulb in there, we can put internet in there. It's just a matter of getting it done. I can tell you that right now. I want to thank everybody for coming. A couple of people I want to mention. I know there's some statewide come in. I think Scott Fitzpatrick walked in a while ago. Scott, where you at? <laughs> Lieutenant Governor, back there. Mike Kehoe. I know Jay Ashcroft was here somewhere. I don't know if he's in here today. Him and Eric Smith were both here. What's the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to be back at the State Fair. I'm excited to be back open. See a lot of smiling faces, people having a good time. We got to get back to that. Stay the course. Stay faithful, Missourians. We've been through tough times before. We'll get through these tough times. We'll be better off for it. It is an honor and privilege to be the 57th governor of the great state of Missouri. God bless you. God bless Missouri. God bless you. Alright, I've got one other official act I've got to do. i got to introduce this next man that I've known for a long time. Actually, he started out as the president of Southwest Baptist University. And I started out as sheriff at the same time. Don't read too much into that. That's <laughs> how we both started our careers. Couldn't be more proud of our United States Senator. One is his friendship to me and my family and for the job he's done for the state of Missouri. And I tell you right now, we are going to miss him. I don't know who's going to take his place. I don't know. I know a lot of people want to do it, but I'm telling you, big shoes to fill. Please welcome the Senator of the state of Missouri, Roy Blunt. here, Charlie Blunt's here somewhere, standing head and shoulders above me, wherever he is, but uh, he's uh, glad to be here, uh, glad to be here one more time and intend to be here more times than just today and looking forward to the next 18 months to continue to work for you in the Senate. Let's just start where the governor uh, ended on broadband. Uh, you know, we've been talking about that in this building for a long time. Ten years ago, 50% of rural Missourians didn't have access to broadband. That number's been cut in half, but we're going to cut that number 
to zero, right, Governor? That's right. That's right. Access matters. If people didn't know it mattered before the pandemic, they know it matters now. You know, the ability, if you're going to school at home, if you're working at home, if you need health care at home, all of that is possible if you have the right kind of connectedness. That's why the Missouri Farm Bureau has made that one of their number one priorities for well over a decade now. The General Assembly is hearing that. Congress is hearing that. Uh, we've been making great progress, but I think now we understand the great progress isn't good enough. We just, the, the broadband is, in, is as important today as the telephone was 50 or 75 years ago. It connects us in ways that will be the lifeblood of our rural communities. You know, there are a lot of people in the country that would like to live in a community of three to 500 people where you may not know every, every kid's name, but you know the house every kid lives in. Uh, you may not uh, know what's going on everywhere else, but you know what's going on in your community. You know about the church activities and the school activities and school sports matters and all of that. A lot of people like to do that, but you can't do that effectively, we now clearly, more clearly understand, if you're not connected to the job opportunities and if you're not connected to the information that you need if you're a family farmer and trying to decide to make decisions based on what everybody else is looking at, hopefully at the same time you're looking at it and it will make a difference. You know, one of the great things that happened in the pandemic was the move toward, uh, toward telehealth. Federal government finally decided about five or six years after we, they should have that no, it's a, actually it's a good idea for people to go to the doctor. We, we've had this discussion, I've argued about this and advocated for it for a long time, but the, the idea always was, well, if people went to the doctor more, it would cost more for Medicaid and Medicare. I think what we figured out during the time when people figured out they could go to their doctor more easily uh, is that if you go to the doctor more often, you don't have those big bills that we were all paying for in Medicaid and Medicare and other things. And so telehealth is here. Telebehavioral health is here. What an incredibly challenging year for people uh, with behavioral health challenges and just mental health challenges of all kinds. You're worried about things you never worried about before. You're worried about your job. You're worried about your family. You're dealing with an issue and suddenly all of the ways you dealt with that issue aren't available to you. You know, we had opioid overdose deaths on a significant decline for three straight years. Last year, highest number of opioid overdose deaths in the history of the country. Suicide rates at an all-time high. The farm helpline used like it hadn't been used before. By the way, I've been talking to our friends at Extension. I know President Choi was here a minute ago. Uh, they're gonna be the first Extension service in America to take the county extension office and also add to that a telehealth opportunity at that office. You need a behavioral health discussion, if you need another health discussion, and for whatever reason you can't get it done at your house, suddenly you're within a drive to the county courthouse of being able to do that through the University of Missouri extension system. Uh, and that's it's gonna be a great leadership thing for us to do. And then on so many of these other issues that we fought a decade about, suddenly the people on the other side are back. I don't know how many times I took the Farm Bureau Waters of the U.S. map to the Senate floor. I, I lost count, and my staff did too, that map that showed that 99.7% of our state would be under the control of the EPA for all kinds of decisions if we decided that Waters of the U.S meant any water, as Blaine Luke-Tomire explained it to me early on, that could run into any water, that could run into any water, that could run into any water, that eventually could get to navigable waters. What a ridiculous definition of a federal extension of our of authority under the, this, this Clean Water Act. Well, they're back. You know, we had we headed in a good direction for four years, and now suddenly the waters of the U.S. is back. Well, we need to be fighting that. The tax discussion that everybody should be and will be talking about, that fight comes next. Now, frankly, when we took the infrastructure piece off of what the president wanted to do and call everything infrastructure, I think we made it a little harder for our friends on the other side to vote for the big bill 
that will reverse tax policies from 2017. But they're not just happy with reversing tax policies from 2017. I was there and found the votes in the House in 2001 and 2003 for those two significant tax bills, and those were the bills that made real progress on the death tax. So not just going back to 2017, not enough. They said, well, we, we, that's not really quite good enough because if we go back to 2017 and then we double the capital gains tax, nobody would sell anything that somebody could inherit. So we're going to tax that too. We're going to go back to 2001 and 2003. And my friend uh, Jason, uh, 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 Senator Chris Van Hollen, has a bill that would have a million dollar exemption as opposed to the exemption we have now. But of course, so many people in where I work are so disconnected to, to farms and agricultural America, they think you've got a farm over 40 or 50 acres, that you're no longer a family farmer, you're some big corporate farmer. If you've got equipment that costs more than $10,000, you're surely not a family farmer anymore. Well, we all know that's not right. We're in an important fight here. There was no mandate to change America in the last election. The House margin is as cl closer than any margin Democrats have had in 170 years. The Senate margin couldn't possibly be closer, 50-50. And in the White House, the only thing that President Trump and President Biden in the campaign both agreed on, they both wanted the election to be all about President Trump. <laughs> there was no mandate about what the new president, another president might want to do. That wasn't the discussion at all. And by the way, that President Trump got 74 million votes in that election. Uh, it's um, an important time. We're in the fight. Our delegation works incredibly well together. Uh, I'm proud to get to serve with all of them. Do you want me to introduce somebody, or are you going to do that? And so I'm also proud to, to introduce uh, my good friend Vicki Hartzler, who understands agricultural America as all of our colleagues do. You'd have a hard time finding a delegation anywhere in the Congress that understands farms and farm families like this list of speakers back here, right here. And Vicki, I'm proud to introduce you. Vicki Hartzler. with you and appreciate so much your leadership and your heart for America and for Missouri. It's nice to have a, a dairy farmer as one of our senators. Uh, and so we appreciate appreciate you and thank you uh, Garrett and Farm Bureau for hosting this again. Farm Bureau is always on the cutting edge of leading to make sure that our Missouri agriculture stays strong. We were here a few years ago talking about WOTUS and now we're here uh, protecting uh, taxation and we talked about broadband. Congratulations. I appreciate your announcement governor and the state legislators who are here, this is huge. And it is a game changer for our state. I have talked to so many of the families in my district who have struggled to get their kids' education. They can't access their homework at home. I've had moms tell me how they have to go take their children to school an hour early every day just so that their kids can access their Google Docs and they can get their homework done. I've talked to our senior citizens who said, that's great that you passed telemedicine, but..." I can't have internet service, I can't access my doctor, I have to go in. And then we have our small communities in my district, which are the backbone of our, uh, of our nation, our economy, uh, telling me they have businesses coming, wanting to locate in their community, and we need the jobs, we want our young people to stay and find a good job in our local town, but because we don't have high-speed internet, those businesses say, well, sorry, and our kids end up going to the city, and they move away and our communities start uh, falling down. But now, with this rural broadband, that is going to be a game changer for our state, and I'm so excited to have been able to support with my colleagues' efforts at the federal level and now at the state level to help make that happen. But I know today we're talking about taxation, and some words have already been said. But as you know, the proposals that are coming forth would want to lower the threshold for the uh, estate tax. I call it the death tax. It is a death tax. I think it's the most criminal tax that we have. The thought that just because your mom and dad pass away and you inherit the farm, that you have to pay the federal government for that is just wrong. Because your parents 
and you as a family have paid taxes your whole life on that property. You paid property tax. You paid your income tax. Why should you be penalized and have to do that? And now those in Washington are talking about lowering that threshold for that, coupled with the reduction and the elimination of stepped-up basis and possibly increasing the capital gains tax to 40%. If that happens, there will be no more ability to pass on the family farm. It would be the death of our rural communities, and we cannot allow that to happen. And here's some sobering statistics. On this proposal, a study was done. Uh, the Texas uh, A&M uh, Food and Policy Institute looked at what would happen. What would be the impact if we did away with stepped-up basis, if we lowered the threshold for a state tax? They looked at 94 model farms of different sizes, different configurations, different families. Five of those they chose were, of the 94, were from Missouri. And they said that when this, if this were to happen, 92 of those 90 farms 94 farms would be impacted and the average cost to the family would be 1.43 million dollars in taxes they would have to pay. That is not money that our farm families have. Just because you inherit some farmland, you inherit that pasture, some cows, some equipment, you don't have 1.43 million dollars in the bank. What you're going to have to do is sell that farm that is, your family has worked for years for. So I'm going to do everything in my power to try to oppose this, to expose this, and to make sure those who are pushing this understand how this is going to be devastating, and we need to go back to protecting and promoting and supporting our farm families, not undermining them. Thank you. Thank you, Congresswoman. Next up, we have someone that not only knows production agriculture, but knows small business. And, and he has been our voice uh, within small business in Congress and has is just been a tremendous advocate. So please help me welcome Congressman Blaine Buchtemeyer. Thank, thank you, Garrett. Uh, great to be with you. Uh, Farm Bureau always does a great job. I'm a member of Farm Bureau myself. And just to get it out of the way, I am not running for Senate. <laughs> I asked Roy about that. I said, you better make that plain because they never know here, okay? So I did. But um, with regards to the governor, thank you so much for your leadership, Governor. Um, yes, during the pandemic, we would have as many calls as we could get in, but usually weekly, sometimes biweekly. Um, his leadership was key in being able to keep us informed and uh, him informed from, with our living room from Washington on how things were all working out. Uh, we, we were working very closely together, and I think that sort of coordination is what you expect. That collaboration is what you expect from your leaders. And trust me, the governor's leadership was instrumental in making that happen. Uh, let's see, Roy slipped away here, but uh, just to comment on Roy is, you have no idea what this guy does behind the scenes. <clears throat> he is going to be missed. His leadership, his experience, uh, his position in the Senate is unique. And when we want to get something done on our side of the building over there, to be helpful, we talk to Roy. Roy gets it done. He finds a way to help us help you get things that you need. So we're going to be, he's going to be missed. We've got some good folks here. They're going to hopefully try to take his place, but he has some very, very big shoes, trust me. Uh, from the standpoint of the issue we're talking about this morning, yes, uh, I look at it from a couple different angles, not only from the agricultural angle, but as the ranking member on small business. This is devastating. Um, I'm the top Republican on the Small Business Committee, and taxes are just devastating our small businesses and farms are small businesses. Um, you know, the, the, the thing we have here in the Senate this morning, all these pictures, the farm families, that's the thing that the other side doesn't understand. They don't understand those are real people. Those are real people that they're affecting. Those lives are being affected by the legislation that they put out, by the rules and regulations, by these proposed tax increases. Um, this is the nonsensical part of what is frustrating to me from the standpoint that they don't understand. It's important, you know, all my colleagues and I, we come on our weekend to be sure to be, talk to, to be around you, to listen to your concerns, to be able to take those concerns back to Washington. I don't know what our colleagues do, but they don't go home and listen to their constituents, because I know that they've got people just like that in their, office, in their, in their districts, and they, they don't listen to them. I know they're telling the same thing. This is a really, really, really bad deal. How can death be a taxable event? That's what they're talking about. And not only 
not only do you have the, the inheritance tax, this is a second tax. This is the second death tax that you're looking at. Holy smokes. Um, it is very unfair. Uh, it, is, it is over the top. It is something we have to fight against, and we will. The rest of the proposals with regards to taxes are, again, an abomination. From the standpoint, we have the template in place with regards to what the, the 2017 tax bill was able to do. It empowered all of you to be able to keep your money. It's not, it's not the government's money, it's your money. It empowered you to be able to keep your money and invest it how you saw fit with yourselves, your families, your businesses, your farms, whatever it is, and look what happened to our economy and our country. It grew across the board. Every demographic group improved. Every demographic group, uh, group had an improvement in their lifestyle and their wages and their incomes. What's wrong with that? Why do we have to reinvent the wheel? Instead, these guys are coming in there with a whole bunch of new proposals that undermine this, this situation. And I tell people, as long as they don't kick the, 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 the pins up underneath our economy, which right now are the, the only thing holding it up is, our, is the tax cuts of 2017. If they kick that out, look out, we're in big trouble. But you know, those tax cuts are continuing to improve the lives and, and, and give you the ability to uh, address the concerns that you have by allowing you to keep those dollars. I just I believe the dollars in your pocket are their dollars. That's wrong. That's the wrong approach. And my colleagues and I, we fight that every day. Trust me. They have another side. They, they look at the pockets full of money that you have and they think, man, how do you get all that we can get? And we got to slap their hands and say, no, you can't do that. But uh, again, the, the tax situation for small businesses, for farmers, all of those things worked. They allowed you to keep those dollars, improve your lives, improve your business and your farms, and be able to go out and buy another farm or another create another business. Economic freedom, that's the key that makes us different in this world. I have a unique position with, with, the, with the, uh, the committees I sit on, having a lot of people from other countries come through my committee, come through my office. And it's unique because they said that we're very envious of what we have and who we are. And the thing that's, that distinguishes us between other people in other, other countries is economic freedom. Because you see, if you don't like the job we have today, you can go tomorrow and get a different one. If you want to start a new business tomorrow, you can do that. If you want to start a new business next week, you can do that too. Other places in the world, they don't have the kind of economic freedom we have. And because of that, we have the country that we have. And the thing that's really frustrating to me with these people in charge today is they don't see that. They believe that the government is what drives the economy and our country. It's not. It's all of you. There's a, there's a, <clears throat> um, one of our presidents once said that the greatest of our country is not found in the halls of Congress. It's found in the hearts and homes of our people. That's all of you. You make us great. And from here, with your leadership, we're going to continue to be great. Thank you very much. Governor, you nailed it when you talked about the delegation and just how this delegation works together. The next speaker spends a little time in the weeds in tax policy and in fact is the architect of the Death Tax Repeal Act to do actually what needs to be done, not take us the other direction. And our delegation is behind that legislation and behind Congressman Jason Smith. Thank you, Garrett. It is, uh, it's great to, to see Garrett leading the Missouri Farm Bureau, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I, I just want to say um, it's pretty special that you can um, stand up here and we have a governor who is truly a son of Missouri, who believes in liberty and freedom and you have governed that way for the people that we all represent. And I want to say thank you, Governor. And much like uh, Blaine said, we have a great delegation. Um, uh, well, most of them except for one in the city of St. Louis, but everyone else is, is fine. The other one, we could vote her off the island. Um, but I will say that um, this delegation here is incredible and they work tirelessly for the people that they represent we're all friends and um, we all are ambitious but we're friends so um, I will say that uh, the fight that we have right now folks is I think the most important fight that I have ever seen in public service I'm the Republican leader of the House Budget Committee I just got off the phone with all of our Republican colleagues going over the Bernie budget 
which comes to the floor on Monday morning. I have to present before the Rules Committee the opposition to the Bernie budget. The reason why I'm talking about the Bernie budget is that is the first step to destroy our way of life. The Bernie budget is so much worse than President Biden's budget. It, it spends more. In fact, it spends $68 trillion over the next 10 years. $68 trillion. That Bernie budget bill passed the United States Senate at 4 a.m. in the morning last week. We're putting up the fight on the House side, and I'm helping lead that fight. Think about this. If you think about all the money that Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats have spent since January of 2019, when they took the majority, and you add what they're proposing under Bernie's budget, that's $85 trillion. That is more money, more money than all the tax collections ever, ever in the history of the founding of this country, folks. If you want to put in perspective of where we are and that we have a serious fight, the Bernie budget will add $17 trillion to the debt. $17 trillion. That's more than the GDP of any country in the world but the United States. That one bill will do. And not to even mention the policies that it's trying to implement. Amnesty for 13 illegal immigrants when we've already had over a million cross the border since January 20th because of Joe Biden's policies. Not to mention the tax breaks and the subsidies to wealthy environmentalists that's in this package, the creation of the Green New Deal. Not to mention the expansion of Obamacare. Folks, this is serious stuff and it's a real fight. Not to mention increasing, increasing your taxes at the minimum. This is their base that's in the budget resolution. Their base of 1.8 trillion dollars at the minimum there's no cap it could be 55 trillion by the time they're done and they have already set the instructions that what they want to do is to double the capital gains tax lower the exemption of the death tax from where we already are to 3.5 3.5 million creating the stepped up basis increasing the tax rates so high that our businesses and our job creators are paying more on taxes than the folks in communist China. And you know what that does to our small businesses in all of Missouri? It incentivizes, it has the federal government to incentivize our manufacturers and our employers to close shop, fire their employees, and move to China. That is not the policies we need and we have to fight back. And the good news, folks, is I've been, I've been on the phone working the, the phone lines for the last week with as many as moderate Democrats. Unfortunately, there's only 11. But let me tell you, those 11 know my phone number. And we just need four. If all Republicans in the House will stick together on Monday night and we pick up four Democrats, we can, we can do something that the United States Senate couldn't do. And we could stop this. If we don't stop it, if we don't stop it, it creates the process for the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill that will implement the policies that we're looking at. Folks, we can do it. Um, I also just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the entire House Republican delegation from Missouri because they all are sponsors of our death tax repeal act. We are actually trying to work on the offensive. We have 147 sponsors in all of Congress. We even have some Democrats that's supporting us to completely repeal the death tax. And, and that is the legislation that I've been pushing. But the most alarming thing is, is that right there on the wall. Under this proposal that I just said, with doubling the capital gains tax and what they want to do with the death tax, anytime any one of your family members die, guess who inherits 61%? The federal government.
under Joe Biden's proposal. We gotta do everything to stop it. Thank you all for being with you. Thank you, Congressman. Last but not least, you know, Congressman, through the years, I've spent many a day on your farm tours as you go around in your district listening to not only farm and ranch families, but those involved in agribusiness and small business. You hear these issues all the time, just as each one of our members of our delegation do. So, so Congressman Long, I'm interested in your thoughts, and then we'll move to, to Q&A. So please help me welcome Billy Long. But yeah, you were talking about 34 years of expanding membership for 34 years. Barbara, my wife Barbara, raise your hand, Barbara, back here, and Kaylane, our oldest daughter. Barbara and I celebrated our 37th anniversary two days ago, and uh, I've had a constantly, I've had a constantly expanding waistline for 37 years. So I can, I can beat your 34 years all over the place, and I can also beat your Roy Blunt story. I was, an auction. I was up here today for the 68th ham breakfast, like the 28th ham breakfast I've attended. Why? Because I was an auctioneer for 31 years before I ever went to Congress. I was a 55-year-old freshman, got sworn in at 55 years old. I did my business, my real estate, my auction business for 31 years, raised Kayleen and her sister Kelly, who couldn't be here today. And uh, I uh, always went to the ham breakfast. Those auctioneers would come up here, the Missouri State Professional Auctioneer Association, a lot of times we'd auction the hams off. We'd spend the day at the fair, always a great time up here. And so today I came up and I heard the governor talk about my number one priority that I've worked on in Congress on the Energy and Commerce Committee on the Telecom Subcommittee, and that being rural broadband. I did a broadband mapping bill. If you knew how bad the mapping was before you could even start to get broadband out there. But, and I think we picked up $100 million between breakfast and and now, because I, I tweeted out $300 million, when we got it here, it's $400 million. I'm going to forward now to $500 million. If I buy a pound, I'm going to buy six. But, and Bob Kohlmeyer, where's Bob Kohlmeyer? He's back here by Kayleen and uh, Barbara. But Bob and I have been together since the sixth grade. He's done my farm work ever since I went to Congress. And I picked him up. You know how you see somebody that's kind of lazy and you can't get any work out of them? Well, that was Bob. I mean, when he, when he was... <laughs> When he was in, what are you laughing about? Sorry. You're next. When he was in college, he went to full load, Missouri State University. Back then it was Southwest Missouri State University. Took a full load. He worked at the Frisco nights, 40 hours a week. Went to school today, Frisco at night. And what did he do when he wasn't at school at the Frisco on the weekends and in between? He row cropped. He was a farmer in Lockwood, Missouri. So uh, I'd say, you know, everybody in the 7th District has a great work ethic, but Bob has an ex exemplary one. So give a big hand up to Bob. <laughs> they talked about uh, eliminating the stepped-up basis. We all know how disastrous that would be. Uh, they talked about long-term capital gains. We all know how disastrous that would be. But how many of you ever heard of a lady that Vicki and I came in Congress together with, sworn in January 3rd, 2011? Anybody ever heard of Christy Nome? Governor Christy Nome of South Dakota. You heard of Christy? Uh, she'll probably be vice president, president someday. Great person. But why did she get into politics? You know why Christy Nome got into, I know you guys know, but you know why Christy Nome got into politics? Because her dad died. They were farmers. She was in college, and her dad died in a farming accident. So what did Christy Nome do? She went home and met with the family, and the IRS called and said, guess what? And she said, what? They said, yeah, guess what? She said, what? Christy Nome dropped out of college because of the death tax. And now, this stuff they're talking today is beyond anything I've ever heard of in my life. Can, can, can you believe what has happened to our country in the last seven months? In the last seven months, the things they've done to destroy our country from defunding the police. Logan Circle, Washington, D.C., not a bad area, just north of the White House. They've had three, I think it might be four since we left town, but four what I call Wild West shootouts in the middle of the street. 
drug dealers shooting at each other while people were sitting in the sidewalk cafes. A 53-year-old man came over from Bolivar, uh, Bolivar, I always say Bolivar when I get to that point, uh, Baltimore the other day to take his wife to a nice cafe, you know, sidewalk cafe dinner. Hit with a stray bullet, 53-year-old shot and killed. A lot of innocent civilians are shot and killed with these stray bullets from these drug dealers sitting out in the middle of the street, a good part of Washington. 200 less policemen on the streets today than there was one year ago. Springfield, Missouri, how many people know the population of Springfield, Missouri? I'm gonna call it 167,000. That's close enough for government work, and I'm in government work, so I can do that. 167 less cops on the beat. This craziness that's coming out of Washington, D.C. from AOC and her liberal loony friends and Bernie Sanders and all of them, I mean, it's crazy. Defund the police. Jason was speaking of, was that Ann Wagner you were talking about a while ago that you don't like? Oh. <laughs> she texted me one note, she heard it already. He, I think he was talking about Cory Bush. I think he was talking about Cory Bush in St. Louis. She spent forty to fifty thousand dollars of campaign money for her self-protection. And in the, and she puts it on, I mean you might think this, but you don't say it. You don't go on camera and say it. But she said it. She said, I'll spend 200,000 campaign funds for my personal protection because I'm doing important work, but we still need to defund the police. She doesn't want to defund the police, she wants to defund the military. This stuff is off the charts. I went down to the border with President Trump five, six weeks ago. You don't have to go to the border to go to the border. All you have to do is go to the McAllen Airport. Buy your plane ticket, go down there, try this out. You don't need to go to the border and watch them coming in from the underbrush at night. You just go to McAllen Airport. They're loading hundreds and hundreds of illegals on commercial airlines. No real ID, no driver's license, no passport. We don't know who they are. Now you try and go to the St. Louis Airport or the Columbia Airport, Springfield, Kansas City, go to TSA agent, can we see your ID? No, we don't have one. Well, we can't let you board. Oh, yeah, yeah you can, because I see them boarding all the time down to McAllen without an ID. No, sir, we can't let you board the airplane. They're boarding without any ID. I've heard the CDC say 20% CDC say of them have COVID when they come in the country. Vicki just lost Steve Walsh, a great, great man. Way too young to COVID last, today, this morning, after midnight. 20% of them are coming in this country with COVID. Uh, and then I heard 44% of them with COVID from the CDC. So you pick the number. But they're loading them on commercial airlines sitting next to me and you. But we don't know who they are. But they do all have a vanilla envelope about this size here. And they've got instructions written on it like I don't speak English. They got stuff in the middle in the middle of it for them. They're flying where they fly them in the Marshall Blackburn's district. We all you serve Marshall Blackburn in the house. He's a senator now. Chattanooga. They don't tell people Chattanooga they're coming in. This stuff is beyond imagination. So I want to seal up the borders. I want to fund the place. I want to kick. We've got kids today that they're forcing to put masks on to go to school. All you see is two eyes. They have no identity. Childhood suicide is off the chart. My wife works on a suicide prevention board in Washington, D.C. It's unbelievable. You can't see. They don't make the illegals wear masks when they come in. They do on the airplanes, but you have to go on an airplane. But these poor kids have no identity. A little kid went in Walmart that day, I saw on TV, saw his teacher, ran up, this is Cunningham, this is Cunningham. She looked down, she said, who are you now? Been in school all year long, didn't know the kid. So we're taking away their complete identity, making them wear masks in school, and then we're teaching them that they were racist when they were born. And I'm fed up, and I'm not having it. I can tell you right now, this country, Washington, D.C. has spun completely out of control. And these folks here are helping me fight the fight in Washington, D.C. because we have to do it. Blaine handed me a note here. I don't know who it was. This is mine. Was it Marco that did this? Trump can talk two hours without taking his walk. Mr. Blaine, don't forget to tell him you're running for Senate. Though. Okay, thank you, Blaine. <laughs> I went to see the president two weeks ago, Tuesday, Trump Tower, talked to him 45 minutes, him on one side of the desk, me on the other. He knows I was the first one on the Trump train. You see my billy bus out here. I say, if you were on the Trump train, get on the billy bus. I want to say two quick things about that Senate race. I can tell you right now, 
who's going to win. Guaranteed, ironclad, I can tell you right now who's going to win it. And I'll tell the press after this is over. But I'm also going to tell you whoever wins it, the Republican primary, I'm going to back that person, whether it's me or someone else. I'm going to be 100% in on whoever wins. And this stuff, if so-and-so wins or so-and-so wins, I'm going to vote Democrat. To do anything that Vicki Hartzler wants to do, that Blaine Luptermeyer wants to do, that Jason Smith wants to do, that Ann Wagner wants to do, that Sam Graves wants to do, I got news for you. We have to take the Senate back. Kamala Harris has broken eight ties so far in a 50-50 Senate. We are feckless. I don't even stand up here all day and say what you're going to do. You know, in the auction business, we, we talk to sellers and they tell us what they could do, what they could do, what they take. And I'd say, you know, don't tell me what you can do. Tell me what you can't do, but tell me what you can do. Right now, until we take the Senate back, we can't do much. We're going to get the House back. We can't mess that up. I mean, we that's a lead pipe sense. We're going we're gonna to do that. So whoever wins the Senate race, I want everyone, if you're Republican, back that person. Don't get caught up in this, oh, I'm not going to vote for so-and-so, because it's too important. If you want open borders, if you want no police on the streets, if you want critical race theory taught in schools, then you do that. You vote for, you know, whoever you want to in that general election. But I'm going to back whoever our nominee is. God bless you all. Thank you. Rise it by, by recognizing some special guests that I had asked to be here. We have Chris and Emily Lubrin and their grandson, Ben. Ben is serving as one of Farm Bureau's youth ambassadors. This is actually his second year. We've extended uh, he and Chloe's term as our youth ambassadors. Ben is the next guest. Ben is the generation that's working alongside of his grandparents and his parents to keep their farm going in Osage County. Ben also is willing to step out and to talk about the estate tax. And if you come back in the Farm Bureau building, you'll hear his message about don't tax death and what it would mean to, to the Lubring family. They're just one of many families who are passionate about this issue that feel it's important to, to speak up. So I know we have friends from our commodity organizations that are here. I see so many longtime friends. What can we do today and what can we do tomorrow and the week after? We can continue to beat the drum of don't tax death. Don't change the federal tax code in a way that is going to make it harder for us to plan for the future uh, and to carry that farm on. So with that, I thank you for attending. We've got a question or two real quick for the members of our delegation. We'll, we'll take those and we will wrap up. Going once. We're talking about. Okay, going twice. Thank you, everybody. Remember, don't tax debt. <laughs>